Pastor Xavier Reese, and the impact of compromise. The prearranged plan of Abraham and Sarah is revealed. The suggestion was Abraham's. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. The plan benefited Abraham, but endangered Sarah. Abraham just hung himself. Who's this guy? Father of faith. Not very flattering for the father of faith. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most children learn the limerick, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. Now that's good truth, not just to learn, but also to remember when we're tempted to bend the truth. Today, Pastor Xavier shares what happens when God's children weave webs of deception. Turn to Genesis chapter 20 for today's lesson, Oops, I Did It Again. Have you ever heard a person say, I will never do that again, only to see them fall on the very same sin again? Better yet, have you said, and you keep repeating the same old sin over and over and over again. All of us experience this at one time or another, to some extent or another, if we don't reckon the old man, the sin nature dead. It's ever present. There is no cruise control in Christianity. The account of Abraham here at Gerar reveals his failure of faith to trust God once again. Three simple movements unfolded for us. In verse 1 through 7, you have the repeated lapse of faith by Abraham. Verse 8 through 16, the reproof of Abraham by Abimelech. And 17 and 18, the regarded intercession of Abraham for Abimelech. Notice verse 1 and 2. The taking of Sarah by Abimelech is given to us here. Abraham moved from his home to the south and he went to Gerar, down there the desert towards Egypt. And um, the last time he entered Egypt, if you recall, in chapter 12, it was due to a severe famine of the land. And chapter 12 and chapter 20 go side by side. There's a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities, but don't confuse them as being the same account, as some commentators say. They are two different accounts. One is Pharaoh of Egypt. This one's Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the accounts, the response, and the situation are totally different, though there are many similarities. So... Be careful of thinking of the same old story under a different twist. There are two different accounts. In fact, there's many years apart from that, as we'll see. Verse 2, Abraham lied to Abimelech. Uh, now Abraham said, Sarah, his wife, was, she is my sister. Once again, Abraham falls prey to his flesh. 25 years after his first failure to trust God to protect him there, in chapter 12, he feared for his life, Genesis 12, 12 says there, in Egypt. Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarai into his harem. Notice the reason Sarah was taken is not stated. Whether for marriage in the case of Egypt, is there he intended to marry her, or mere marriage for political alliances, as Solomon did and many others, we're not told. Now, notice the warning by God comes to Abimelech in verse 3 through 7. In verse 3, the intervention of God brought a stern warning of accountability to Abimelech. The word is God, Elohim, the creator, came to Abimelech in a dream by night. 
It's the creator who makes him accountable. He doesn't appear to him as a covenant God, but the creator God. The message of God to Abimelech was pretty straightforward. Listen, indeed, you're a dead man. How'd you like that? Verse 4 and 5, the immediate defense of Abimelech was declared to God. I mean, he's freaking out. The commentary for the sake of the promised seed Isaac, who was to be born directly by the hand of God through Abraham and Sarah, comes first. This was important. Listen to the word. But Abimelech had not come near her. This is very important. If there was any suspicion that perhaps Sarah had had sexual relationships, the whole promise of the seed of Abraham would have been destroyed. The next thing Abimelech claims was that his nation was God-fearing. And he said, Lord, Adonai, will you slay a righteous nation also? Wow. Apparently here we have a witness of this man that they feared God. God doesn't seem to contest Abimelech's claim here. Notice in verse 5, the individual words of Abraham and Sarah were quoted by Abimelech. Smart man. He witnessed against Abraham first. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And then he witnesses against Sarah. And she herself said, he's my brother. And then he witnesses for himself. Listen, in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hand, I have done this. The word integrity means completeness of heart, no guile. And God didn't say liar. Now, the indicator words of God came to Abimelech again by a dream in verse 6. Listen, the commendation first came. It was this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. He had acted according to the information received. He had not twisted anything. So he commends him on that point. But then comes the condemnation. Listen, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. He was no monk or saint. And God stopped him from having sexual relationship with Sarah. Now, the inescapable instructions of God, the Abimelech, had severe consequences. They come in verse 7. The command was simple. Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. <laughs> as a prophet, he would intercede in prayer, and the blessing of God would come to him, even as he interceded for Lot, and the blessing of God came. The warning was clear. Listen. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Notice he moves to the reproof of Abraham by Abimelech. It's given to us. Abimelech moved immediately to obey, which is wise. He rose early in the morning. Abimelech summoned his servants, those who served him in leadership capacity, those who would carry out his orders. And Abimelech discloses all the matter. He told them uh, all these things in their hearing. He made them fully aware of the deception of Abraham and Sarah and what God had said. And Abimelech's men, it says, were frightened. And the men were very much afraid, greatly afraid. Fear had motivated Abraham to lie. Fear had motivated both Abimelech and his officials to obey. What a difference. The fear of Abraham was not based on the fear of God. 
When your fear is based on the fear of God, then you obey. And so faith brings fear of God, which brings obedience. Verse 9 and 10, the confronting of Abraham by Abimelech is given to us. In verse 9, the king makes Abraham accountable. There's that dirty word again. God makes him accountable, now he makes Abraham accountable. That's great. Abimelech rebuked Abraham for the immense consequence of his sin. His words remind us of those spoken by God to Eve. He called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? The word us implies the entire population. Here you have a ruler who's concerned about his people. Pharaoh was not. Listen to Pharaoh in 1218. Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you have done to me? Everybody's in love with me, myself. What a contrast between the two. Abimelech allowed Abraham to voice any accusations, if he had any. Verse 9, how have I offended you? Abraham had no excuse, no words. Abraham, without doubt, was embarrassed and humbled here. And so Abimelech charged Abraham with sin and guilt of adultery. The sin was severe. Listen, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. In like manner, Adam affected all the human race. We think, oh, I just, I got it wired. No one will know. And you destroy a whole family. You destroy your children. Abimelech accused Abraham of treachery. It was personal. Listen, you have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Why? He had trusted Abraham. When you trust someone and you bring them close, then that's treachery. Betrayal. The condemning defense of Abraham is given in verses 11 and 13. He should have just kept quiet. Abraham hangs himself. He thinks he's defending himself. He hangs himself. Listen. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. He was wrong. This place did fear God. Whoa. The fear of Abraham is given next. And they will kill me on account of my wife. He allowed his fear to affect his decision making, even to disobey God. Abraham got his eyes on the situation and sought his own solution once again. Listen to verse 12. He expresses the same truth. But indeed, she is truly my sister. But then he expresses the minor technicality that he left out. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Forgot to tell you that. Oops. Abraham, you're hanging yourself. The prearranged plan of Abraham and Sarah is revealed lastly here in verse 13. The time is declared, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, which goes back to Genesis 11 and the beginning of 12. The suggestion was Abraham's, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. You owe me, Sarah. Who's this guy? Father of faith. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. The plan benefited Abraham, but endangered Sarah. Not very flattering for the father of faith. Look at the 
reconciling of the matter by Abimelech with Abraham in verse 14 and 16. In verse 14, Abimelech presented gifts of compensation and appeasement for full restitution for his fault in taking Sarah. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male female servants and gave them to Abraham. Uh, remember, Pharaoh, in contrast, treated Abraham well for her sake and gave sheep, oxen, donkey, female, and male servants, and camels, and so on and so forth in 1216 because this was like a dowry to take her to be his wife. This is in compensation in reconciliation of the offense. Different perspectives here. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. Pharaoh, in contrast, said, Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her to be my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. 1219. Big difference. Verse 15, Abimelech made an alliance of friendship then with Abraham. Abimelech reveals himself to be gracious. Listen, see my land is before you. The land was already Abraham's by promise, but... Nevertheless, the man is acting graciously. Abimelech places no restrictions. Dwell where it pleases you. The land is offered without limits. Now, notice in verse 16, Abimelech rebuked Sarah indirectly. The public proclamation of Abimelech's honorable restitution and her guilt of lying is evident here. Don't miss it. Then to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. The term your brother, without doubt, is to point her guilt. It's a slap in the face. He's rubbing her nose in it. <laughs> I mean, the man is complying. He's got God on his back. But he's been wrong. He's not doing this with a smile. The public proclamation of Abimelech having restored the honor of Sarah comes next. Listen. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. The word vindicates means a covering for the eyes. Sarah, being a married woman, should have presented herself as such, honoring her husband, veiling her beauty. The personal commentary identifies the nature of the passage. It's one of resentment and rebuke. We're not left to our own interpretation. Listen. Thus she was rebuked. The principle of Matthew 18 is to be exercised by every member of the body. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have regained your brother. That the responsibility falls on the innocent party to go to the one who is offended. If you get squared away and you go say, You know, bro, I need to talk to you about something. You know, I could be wrong. I want you to straighten me out. And you go with the spirit of meekness and gentleness. And then he goes, Oh, man, I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean that. I, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Hey, boom, it's done. Buried. Or he says, yeah, that's true. You know, and I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. Verse 16 of Matthew 18 says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two others. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. So you go by two or by three, and it's limited to three or four now. And if it's reconciled, it's buried. If someone opens their mouth, it's easy to find out who has a big mouth. This is for the protection of the person who has sinned and the body, because you know how spiritual we are. Okay? 
Verse 17 says, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. So you bring him to the elders. The elders talk with him. If he, if he straightens up, there's repentance, it's done. Now the circle has been enlarged, but it's still small enough to find out if somebody opens their mouth, you can trace who opened the mouth, right? If he doesn't, you treat him like a publican, like a non-believer. Even to the point where we may have to come and excommunicate, as Paul tells us. That's the way the church is to be run. People do not exercise Matthew 18 in the church today. That's why the church is so carnal and has so many problems. It's not a, a light matter. We should not just shoot our mouth off. We should consider the gravity of that action. James 1.19 says, So then, my, bro- my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. It is amazing to me how ugly other people's sin look to us and how justified and innocent they are when they're ours. The reproof of Abraham by Abimelech was not unreasonable. Notice, lastly, he moves to the regarded intercession of Abraham for Abimelech, verse 17 and 18, just two short verses. The specific intercession is given in verse 17. The instrument was chosen by God. So Abraham prayed to God. Abraham first had to repent of his own sin and confess it to God. It's implied. He can't have access to God unless he first repents of his own sin. Abraham then would be able to have access to God and be that intercessor. The individuals healed were healed by God. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, and the female servants. Not the man who's praying. It is God who heals. It is God who does the work. We are mere vessels, channels. God is the one that does it. God is the one who performed the healing. He healed Abimelech, his wife, the female servants. Notice the indicated malady healed was the inability to conceive children. Then they bore children. The duration of Abram and Sarah in Gerar must have been considerably a long time because this had to be observable. The specific is that they bore, not conceived, confirming the length of time. Bore means that they were there for conception and birth, long enough to observe the pregnancy, the duration, and the birth. So they were there quite a long time. The specific barrenness was brought on them by God, verse 18 says. Now, it's very well understood through the whole narrative, but so that there is no question, well, you know, they must have just got a hold of some bad water. They must have gone down to Mexico or something. No, no, it was God who was doing this, okay? The identity of the one responsible is Yahweh. For the Lord Yahweh had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. Yahweh, the covenant God, who covenanted with Abraham to protect him. Those that curse Yahweh curse them. Genesis 12, 3. This is the only time the title of Yahweh, the covenant God, appears in this chapter. The rest of the time is the phrase God Elohim. Verse 3, 6, 11, 13, 17. The creator makes Abimelech accountable because he created him. But he appears to Abram 
as the covenant God. This is the only time in the chapter. The covenant God was watching and caring over Abraham and Sarah to fulfill the promise of a son, Isaac. Yahweh, the covenant God, could not allow anything to question or bring doubt to his promise regarding the heir to come. If Abimelech would have had sexual relations with Sarah, there would have been a question about who was the father of Isaac. In fact, Sarah was probably pregnant at this time because just a few chapters back, God appears, says, this time next year, I'm going to visit you. Abram was 99. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. They were there for a good nine months. She's probably pregnant right now. Notice the indicated reason for the punishment is given to us. Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Sarah was married to Abraham. God could not allow her to be humbled or defiled by another man. And that's the word that is used through the law for a woman who has sex before marriage. A man humbles her. When her husband has sex with her, he celebrates. It's exalted. And there's a very strong distinction between the two. A man conquers. He humbles, he humiliates a woman in that way when it's outside of marriage. Sarah would bear Isaac through Abraham that very year. God's will and God's timing are two different things, and it's always God's way. Corey Temboom, in her devotional of March 7, shares the following on prayer. Listen. May we pray about little problems of my life or only about the big ones. One day when I had a bad cold in the concentration camp, Betsy, my sister, prayed for a handkerchief for me. We laughed at the silliness of that prayer, but only a few minutes later, a woman came by with a handkerchief for me. We do not know what God considers important. We do not know that he answers prayer, even tiny ones. Now, if I would have said this, it'll be a good illustration, all right, it makes the point. But the power of these words is this woman lived through the concentration camps. She knew the power of prayer. The scriptures tell us that prayer is not simply a tool or avenue to get our will done or our desires that we want, but God's will done. We are to pray according to the will of God, and he will answer 1 John 5, 14 and 15 tells us. We're to understand that prayer is to tap into the things of God and not simply to get things from God. Daniel and Daniel 9, 1 through 3, knew that the captivity was almost up according to the books of Jeremiah, and he began to seek the Lord how he might be part of what God was going to be doing. To tap into the things of God. The ratio, again, I've told you often, speaks for itself. One mouth and two ears. The regarded intercession of Abraham for Abimelech was undeniable. Man, this account of Abraham and Gear has revealed his repeated failure of faith for trusting God. And it's been unfolded in this threefold movement and how it applies to our lives so relevant. The repeated lapse of faith by Abraham was inexcusable. 
the reproof of Abraham by Abimelech was not unreasonable. The regarded intercession of Abraham for Abimelech was undeniable. Oops, I did it again. Is that you? Press towards the mark. Look to him, not yourself. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of trusting God. And you can pick up a copy of today's message, Oops, I Did It Again. It's available on CD for only $4. Now, don't forget, this also includes what was shared during our previous broadcast. So the title to ask for once again is, Oops, I Did It Again. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or call 800-926-1485 to place your order by phone. The address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you do get in touch. We'll be sure and tune in next time for more insight from the book of Genesis. That's right here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 